Hello and welcome to the Economy, Land and Climate podcast. My name is Bertie, and in today's episode I'm talking to Melanie Gunathalaka, a Sri Lankan climate activist involved with Extinction Rebellion and Climate Action Now, and a leading voice of the Gotagagama protests, which have become the centre point of a nationwide political and economic crisis. These things will impact generations to come, and generations of our people, our children, will have to depend on a private company notorious for several environmental and climate crimes on our energy needs. Gotagagama is the new name for Gaul Face Green, a park in the capital city of Colombo. The name translates roughly from Sinhalese as the Gota Go Village. Gota is the nickname for Gotabaya Rajapaksa, the country's president and part of a dynastic family who have governed Sri Lanka for most of the 21st century, as the country has been increasingly affected by climate disasters, spiraling debt and allegations of corruption. Protesters are calling on him to resign. I began by asking Melanie to give us a bit of a background into the crisis the country is facing and into the Rajapaksa family. It starts with Mahinda Rajapaksa, who was the Labour Party leader. He was the Labour Party leader uh, for a while. I mean, he's been in politics for, I think, over 50 years. There was a huge, um, I mean, a long civil war that lasted for over 30 years in Sri Lanka. So it was during his regime that uh, they stopped the war. Because of that, he gained like huge respect from people. And he also is a very charismatic person. And he knows how to speak to people in a way that they feel accepted and respected. So because of that, uh, with this background, they somehow created a mindset within Sri Lankans that was very much of, I mean, they they were um, kept in a very high place where people were not comfortable speaking up against them, even if it's injustice. So they created this net where everybody benefits from corruption at different levels. They mismanaged public funds. They, you know, I mean, they got lots of loans from different countries, especially China, India, US, Japan, all of these countries after the post-war for development. And most of these money was spent on white elephant projects. I mean, we have several infrastructure projects in Sri Lanka, which doesn't generate any money. But there's also lots of government officials and uh, politicians benefits from these projects through commissions at different levels. So this was the corruption. President uh, Mahinda Rajapaksha was, sorry, he lost the election in 2015. But in 2019, his brother was brought into power. So before that, the East attacks happened and that created a lot of fear in people. So they are known to control people through fear. There are allegations of by people saying that the East attacks were orchestrated for this very own purpose of bringing Rajapaksha into power. So with all of this, now, uh, and then we had COVID outbreak. So handling all of these things required money, but we were not prepared because, you know, the public was not taken care of and the money was not allocated for the projects that needed to support the public in a time of crisis. Yeah, here we are. Then we have a forex shortage, and we couldn't pay off our debt. And that is the, yeah, that's how we got here. Yeah, the country was declared uh, bankrupt um, a while ago, and we were defaulted on our loan payments a few months ago as well. And there have been really major protests for about two months now? On uh, 31st of March, 
when there was a 13-hour power cut near the area where the president lives. People got out of the streets, like, you know, in large numbers. And this was not controlled by any political party or nobody had anything to do with it. Like, you know, I think people were surprised as well to see this uprising of people. But I think it sort of hit the tipping point where people couldn't take it anymore because, I mean, mothers were out there with their infant children because they couldn't put them to sleep in this heat. I mean, we live in a country right next to the uh, equator. We also, with the climate crisis and global warming, uh, disadvantaged people and not everybody can afford air conditioning and even the ones who could afford couldn't use it without electricity. And, I mean, you've touched on a a lot of issues that intersect with climate issues from economic policy to energy policy, food security, loss and damage. But you're part of an environmental movement or collective within the Gama Gulf Face Green protest, right? Could you tell us a little bit about what that collective is like and what the priorities are? Environmentalists have been protesting for the for different issues like, you know, deforestation, because during the Rajapaksha regime, there was like the eco side was unprecedented. There were so many, several deforestation issues happening all over the country. So one of the big ones is there were a certain sector of uh, forest lands, protected lands. I mean, they were semi-protected lands called uh, other state forests. Other state forests are the forest lands that are uh, located close to human settlements. So you can't uh, control them with strict restrictions saying that people can't go into them or use these lands because uh, they are part of the human society as well, just like human society was part of the ecosystems of these other state forest lands. But during the Gotabe Rajapaksha regime, they removed the protection from these lands and they were previously managed under the Department of Forest Conservation and they handed them over to the local authorities uh, to use for agricultural and development purposes. So this was like over uh, 500,000 hectares of forest lands. And given how small Sri Lanka is, this is massive amount of lands. And these forests also act as uh, corridors for wild animals to travel through different large forest areas. So um, we have huge elephant, human elephant conflict. Sri Lanka is the number one country that has the most number of elephant deaths and human deaths because of uh, human uh, elephant conflict. And then there's also during um, Gotabaya Rajapaksha government, they also removed the licensing process to transport uh, sand that's mined from the rivers. This again created like massive environmental damage because there's no practical way of monitoring sand mining. The only way that it was monitored was through transportation. But these were also projects that were the contracts were given to either politicians or their friends where they made money through this. So it, is, it just looked like, you know, we, uh, we've been spending the public money on things that would only support someone else to gain a business opportunity, but that didn't really benefit the people or the environment of Sri Lanka. And that is what led us into a situation where we can't afford medicine for our infant children in the hospitals. And the basic needs are so expensive. You know, people are struggling to pay the bills, like, you know, the electricity bills. And even by paying like such high prices, even by staying in queues for days, we we still can't buy the essentials. We still can't buy gas. We still can't uh, buy fuel for vehicles. I think it's worth clarifying for anyone that's listening from other countries who doesn't, isn't very familiar with Sri Lanka. This is a totally different picture to a few years ago, right? 
I mean, I know Sri Lanka has never been a rich country, but I've visited in kind of 2018 and 2019, and there were none of these kinds of levels of issues around poverty. And I mean, I think Sri Lanka was the best country in Asia for food security about six years ago. So it's been a total transformation in the past couple of years, right? We've been a developing nation for so long, but we were developing, you know, we were getting somewhere, we were uh, going forward. But um, like I said, like, you know, that, that crazy amount of corruption, but where it put us is when it comes to a crisis, we are not equipped to handle it. And in a time of crisis, the first groups to suffer is one are the poorer communities, the less advantaged communities than the environment. Because of that, now we've had like, you know, several crises one after the other, and we've been mismanaging the public funds. We've been even mismanaging the funds that we receive as uh, support, you know, even the funds that we receive as aid, even that has been misused. So one good example is the tsunami crisis. Mahindra Rajapaksha has allegations of mismanaging tsunami funds and stealing from it. If you go to the protests, like that, that's what people are chanting. I mean, they're, they're calling these guys thieves. Problem is, it's not just the public funds or the um, resources of Sri Lanka or the, uh, that's been mismanaged. It's also the future of our country. It's also the future of our youth, including myself. Like, you know, most of my friends are going abroad. They don't want to live here anymore. They just don't know how to. And it's heartbreaking because um, I don't want to live. I want to stay here. I want to help. But at the same time, I also don't know how to. I'm really so unsure about my future. This was not the situation a few years ago. We have a, a very fertile soil and we have amazing, rich biodiversity. We have a diverse ecosystem, diverse set of ecosystems that are located so close to each other. And I think that's really unique about Sri Lanka. And instead of protecting this and utilizing these to benefit the people and the country, what they did is like, you know, trying to sell them off uh, to other countries. Like, you know, that included even uh, mega uh, projects to farm monoculture, you know, using forest lands to do that and also using indigenous lands to do that, where people are not really benefiting from this and we're destroying the environment in along with the future of the people. And even in terms of food security. So Sri Lanka was an agricultural nation. Right. Like uh, for generations, we've had a very strong hold on like, you know, rice paddy culture, paddy cultivation. We even have ancient methods that has been used for years. What they did was, I mean, Gotabe Rajapaksha's government, they wanted to move towards organic farming, which is something I really advocate for as somebody being in sustainable industry. But this move, it didn't have an action plan. So they thought that they could do this overnight. And they stopped importing fertilizer, chemical fertilizer, and giving it to people. And then the harvest was reduced by 50%. And then people still don't know what they're going to do for the next month. The problem is mainly still, if you go to rural areas in, of Sri Lanka, can probably find something to survive on. It's possible for rural communities to somehow find a way to survive. But the urban poor, the people who are, Stuck in like, you know, little slums, like even during COVID, we saw like, you know, they couldn't maintain social distance. There were no one meter gap between two houses. So these people have no means of survival. I mean, they don't know how to eat. Like we, if, when, when I was speaking to, to, to taxi drivers, 
whenever I speak to street vendors, they tell us that like, you know, they have cut down one meal for the day. The theoretical approach that they have taken into, especially onto this organic farming issue, has created such a big impact on Sri Lanka and its food security. I might segue from there back into the kind of timeline of what's been happening recently, because last week there was a similar type story, right, about a policy that should seem friendly to environmentalists, but is actually riddled with problems around the Electricity Act passed on the 9th. Maybe you could tell us a bit about what happened with that. That was a handing over to um, renewable energy project to one of the fossil fuel giants of the world, Adani Green Energy Company in India. Then last March, then finance minister, another Rajapaksha, Basil Rajapaksha, he's resigned now, but before the resignation, he visits India. And before his visit, an MOU was signed in between several government authorities and Adani Green Energy handing all these uh, renewable power projects to the Adani. But the law that was active at the moment dictates that this process of giving up energy projects to another company, avoiding this, should go through the competitive tender process and there should be competitive bidding. But um, it was uh, bypassed and these agreements were signed and then Basil Rajapaksha goes to India, secure a credit line for Sri Lanka and comes back. Uh, they changed the electricity bill to allow these transactions to go through, allow this illegal deal, like making this illegal deal legal, uh, allowing Adani create a monopoly on renewable energy in Sri Lanka. There were several good things about the electricity bill as well. It uh, made it easy to have like, you know, more small and medium organizations to work on the projects as well. Like, I mean, there were a lot of, um, it, it removed a lot of barriers like that. But at the same time, it allowed this massive amount of corruption and allowing Adani to create a monopoly in Sri Lanka. And also this goes to show how much of a stronghold that countries like India, um, I mean, we've seen like, you know, China was giving us loans before and there had been like US, Japan, all of these countries has been supporting Sri Lanka, but not without getting anything back. And what they're taking back is not something that would only impact our present. It's not just like today or tomorrow. These things will impact generations to come and generations of our people, our children, will have to depend on a private company notorious for several environmental and climate crimes on our energy needs. So we conducted a protest against that yesterday where we protested in front of the um, Ministry of Power and we also protested in front of the uh, Indian High Commission as well. As part of your environmental collective within the Gama protests, you've been talking about debt policy and perhaps involving that in a kind of reparations type discussion. I mean, we published an article last week that just calculated the immediate costs of loss and damage from extreme weather events in different countries. So nothing like the long-term costs of health impacts or food security or anything like that, but just the initial damage. And Sri Lanka was one of the highest countries. I think it was over 10 billion US dollars in the past 20 years. And Sri Lanka also has a bit of a debt diplomacy issue, as I think you've touched upon, right? I mean, there have been a lot of discussions around debt diplomacy with China and Sri Lanka and whether that's um, exploitative. Could you tell us a little bit about what you've been campaigning for with that? Debt for climate suggests the developed countries, especially the countries of the G7, to cancel the debts taken by debt taken by uh, marginalized countries or like, you know, poorer countries like Sri Lanka, because 
as long as there's someone else controlling what we do, there's someone else controlling like or impacting on the policy decisions, we can't take real climate action. That's what the climate movement is about. And we've been uh, trying to uh, get footage and like, you know, talk to people at the protest side, Goda Gugama, to support this movement as well. I don't know how things will work out, but I really think it will work out in a way that our people won't lose more rights than we already have. My thanks to Melanie Gunafalaka for coming on the show. If you'd like to learn more about the crisis in Sri Lanka, Melanie's provided some videos and articles that we've linked in the description. If you enjoyed the episode, please do subscribe or follow on whatever podcast platform you use and head on over to our site at elc-insight.org to read our articles too. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening.